Good morning! This is Jonathan Frakes, Will Breaker from Star Trek TNG, and you are listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'll see you in the future. February 14th, 2023. I'm Steve Fodor. And I am Eros, god of love and pleasure. Of course you are. <laughs> We're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully they're important to you. If you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information. Happy Valentine's Day to all of those who celebrate the season of love, February 14th. Uh, absolutely. And for those of you who would like to learn more about this love thing, you should probably look up hashtag TMS loves you. We put together a uh, another of those fancy uh, playlists to to spark the mood, Steve. I love when you put together your playlists for Christmas and Valentine's Day. Do you have a third? Is there a third holiday on your list? Your Christmas list is great. Your Valentine's Day list is great. Is, is there a St. Patrick's Day uh, playlist in the in your home? Listen, laddie, maybe there will be. Oh, that's not offensive at all. Film at 11. Reese's to our Film at 11, our movie of the week. Hey, Chip, did you make it to a movie theater this week? I did make it to a movie theater. Really? I went to the Alamo Draft House, Steve. I'm so jealous. I'm still so jealous that you have an Alamo draft house available to you within a reasonable distance. The one in Chicago, I am ready to get out there one of these days, but it is not during musical season, my friend. Well, it, it is there. It is lovely. And if you're in the Chicago area, especially in the Wrigleyville area, and you can get to it easily, mm -hmm. it may be a great place to go see a film. I'm so in great. Raleigh, it is, it's wonderful. It's certainly elevates the movie watching experience so you went to see the triangle of sadness this week tell us all about this one. Oh my goodness steve steve this came out earlier this year this is a kind of a reintroduction of this uh movie a reissue of it okay and it is for it is up for best picture this will not be best, best picture i'll go okay. ahead and say 55 out of 100 ultimately this is a uh a story um, that comes in three acts. It's trying to make something important. They're trying to make an important statement on wealth, on inequity, on uh, market-based economies, uh, capitalism. And it just is kind of heavy-handed. There's some clever parts to it, but not very good. This is not particularly good. Woody Harrelson is um, very funny. In fact, one of the funny scenes you can see in the trailer is where one of the ladies um, who is um, a guest on this boat insists that there are sails on this uh, motorized uh, yacht. And of course there isn't, but she insists that they clean them. And so he winks at her and says, we'll, we'll make sure they're clean. So that is very funny. Um, the third part is where they do crash uh, into, uh, and uh, they have to go to a desert island. And they kind of recreate the uh, market-based economy based on skill sets. And this is kind of unfair. And I think this is what, what makes me not think very highly of this film. Um, and part of it is, is that in market-based economy, we all specialize in our skills. So what is reasonable in a very um, 
I don't know, destroyed economy um, is not necessarily what is reasonable in an elevated economy. In a destroyed economy, a generalist becomes very important. If you've got some general idea on how to fish or how to do medical care or you know any of those number of things, um, that is very, very helpful in that moment. Hmm. But as we move up the economy, most of us don't know how to make the automobile parts that are part of our automobile. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know how to to grow the specific crop at the you know in the spe- uh, specific environment um, you know way away from us. You know we're the guy in between, and that's okay. I mean that's just I don't think this is particularly a a fair argument. It's very straw man like. And uh, I think that that it's its failing. Um, that being said, I mean, it's a beautifully filmed movie. Uh, I think that they put together a wonderful cast. It certainly shows uh, and puts spotlight on some of the ugly parts of um, market-based economies. But it certainly is, you know, once again, just kind of intellectually disingenuous. How about that? Let's go with that. We've had quite a few films on on the topic of the rich this year. Why do you think that there's a reason for that? Anytime that we have the ultra rich, think about Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or Bill Gates or any person, George Soros, Steve, scary. Yeah. We we get this idea that there's this group of people that have a privilege and they can do things far greater than most of us can. And that is true. They they have, um, there's certainly, they could fly anywhere they want to be. Um, and they could buy pretty much whatever they want to, 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 to do. But overall, I think people misunderstand that um, our natural state is, is poverty. I mean, mm-hmm. is destitution. And overall, society has continued to move up. Many of us have heat. Or a roof over our heads. Think about the roof over your head today versus what your parents may have had. And what is reasonable? How about your grandparents? Mm-hmm. You know, they went from no no cars, Steve, because they probably didn't have cars around, to many families have not just one car, but both parents may have a car if they have two parents. Or both parents have a car and a kid has a car. Or maybe there's a play car in the side because, you know, they like a sports car or a motorcycle. Or, you know, something of that nature. And so I'm not saying that people aren't suffering. There's always been people suffering. But there's this beautiful part where many of us have moved above that. And uh, we, we have food. And the question we have is, what can we do to help those people who are struggling try to, to move up? To, to get the things that they need to get to live in their mind what they feel is a good life. Mm-hmm. And and that has always been the challenge. And, uh, you know, there's many different ways of trying to address that. And that's where good satire and good arguments kind of come in. And, and that's why there are people like me who try to study this. How can we move from a society that 100 years ago where many of us were underfed before World War One, those kids were coming in, they were being drafted, they were underfed. Well, we don't really have that issue most of the 
time here in the United States, we have an issue where, you know, human bodies are just exploding. They're getting so large. Um, what's causing that? Hmm. Um, the calorie may not be the issue. It could be the what type of calorie is the issue. Mm-hmm. And uh, how can we encourage people to, you know, eat their fill, but also, you know, be healthy? Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? How lucky for us. We're dealing with different things, but we're, you know, the, the idea is always the same. How does the society help each other I don't know, become better? What okay. can I say? So this is funny enough. This is dramatic enough. This is a no. I don't recommend this film. Okay. I mean, if you want to see it, you certainly can. I said 55 out of 100. Not but it's not it's not something that's it's not going to win movie of the year yeah. it's not it's it's not an important film it, it'll be forgotten yeah it's just going to get lost okay all right book it 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 Brings us to our book and our book of the week. Uh, you know what I love, Chip? I love performance art. I love people who stand up on a stage and can give me a moment. And magicians are one of the groups of people that I just love seeing that moment of deception, that moment of misdirection. You've read a book this week called How Magicians Think, Misdirection, Deception, and Why Magic Matters. This was published in 2021 by Joshua J. Yeah, and it's a whole bunch of essays that mm-hmm. Joshua J. he was a magician, has written about the craft. And I like this book because I like exploring how the mind thinks, mm. how we view reality. And this is, in my part, about why uh, magic is important. So if you, you may be a person who enjoys watching magic, mm-hmm. But you're, what these uh, essays will show you is that your mind moves to a different place. When you are watching um, magic being performed, it is an active. It, it act- activates a certain part of your brain because you're looking at something that you know is not true. Mm-hmm. These people don't have magic powers. But your brain has this disconnect where it's trying to figure it out, Mm -hmm. but also looking at the reality. So if you don't know how a magic trick is done, many times you can go to YouTube or a blog post or something. Listen, it is probably not that. That Penn Jillette has said that. He goes, if you want to ask how a trick is done, many times he'll sit down and he'll put it together for you. Mm -hmm. Okay, But that'll take away some of the joy you have. Correct. But... A lot of it is just practice, mm-hmm. learning how to do something. But I, if you don't know how a simple trick is done, you should probably go on and, and go watch one done. And then you go, look, oh, that looks like it was pretty easy. But I mean, it's only easy because they have practiced, I don't know, a million times right, to make it look so easy uh, and seamless and stuff like that. But it is, um, I, I really, the thing I so much enjoy about this is how the brain works how the brain my my background is economics so i i really try very hard to understand how a human reacts 
why they do what they do, how they respond to incentives, and how can we get society to do things without coercion? People are naturally good in a, in a, in a situation where emergencies come up. They, they do tend to come together. They do tend to help each other. That may not always be the case. You certainly can find exceptions to this at any given time. And you can find exceptions um, historically. So, I mean, you, you can you can find something that breaks that. But in general, humans help each other. This is not an exploration of that. It's how you take in information. So if you could communicate better, not doing a magic trick, but somehow reaching a part of the mind that allows you to connect on a deeper level um, that, I don't know, it's, at times if you need it to excite your mind, great. If it needs to relax your mind, great. This is, I think, ultimately where the higher part of this book is, where these essays go, is how the mind works. Joshua spends a lot of time talking about the history of, of magic, he talks about um, why it's important. He talks about why you know it it uh, makes people happy and and how um, it it can be used to communicate through language. As in, if he 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 was talking about he did a magic show in China. He doesn't speak Chinese. How how do you communicate the setups that that in in an English speaking area? You would normally have the buildup. You would have a conversation around it. And, well, you can't really do that when you mm -hmm. are not speaking the same language. So we talked a little bit about that. One of the things that really kind of uh, made me excited was he did, I think it was called Six Impossible Things. And it was a show that about 20 people would come in. They would go through the set. You would walk through the set. And one of the, the tricks that was performed was in total darkness. Hmm. So how do you communicate that? And um, as you're walking through this set, you get claustrophobic. You, you, um, you have different settings. You have different lighting. It's all, most of it's close-up magic, obviously, because of, of how it's done. It just seemed like it was a lot of fun. Mm. Um, to and and there's the other part about it. Magic is playful. Mm -hmm. So he he constantly says many people don't think it's a job. He's made a living at it, and uh, many people always think it's a hobby. It it it's one of those things. If you've ever been to a magic sh uh, shop or something like that, you you certainly realize how how much it can help you connect with other humans. Yes. And I hope that one day we will find some kind of magic convention that we will go to as too much scrolling and we'll interview a bunch of magicians because it just seems like they would be fun people to oh, to talk to. For sure. We only have a, a limited number of magicians on our friends of the show list. Brian Brushwood that we talked about a few weeks ago, he is quite possibly the most famous magician on our list. Joel Hodgson uh, isn't a magician. He was a prop comic and I it just 
that ability to connect with an audience is is my favorite part as well. That psychology, that sociology, that study of how the mind works and how it enjoys the puzzle and the mystery of magicians is uh, is really really brings me joy to even think about the magicians that I've talked to over the years and I've seen on stage. And there's there's another part of it. I, I think I've said it mo- multiple times so far, is that your mind says one thing, mm-hmm. but you know it was done some other way. And whether you're pointing somewhere or you're 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 pushing your hand somewhere, it really it's it's amazing how your your mind tricks itself, mm-hmm. and that should be enough to make you question your view of reality. Lovely, lovely, lovely. I uh, do recommend this. It's a fun exploration. I do want to mention the, he mentions David Copperfield, Penn and Teller, and David Blaine as three of the magicians he most um, admires. And uh, I couldn't think of anything better. I love Penn and Teller. I, I love their shtick. I love their comedy. The Penn and Teller Fool Us TV show where they give the opportunity for all of these magicians to show their stuff is so entertaining. Well, you know, if you fool them, you get the big F you. The big F you. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Brushwood went on that show and did not fool Penn and Teller, uh, but he still had a fantastic performance and they, they applaud. That's... I think that might be my favorite part is they still applaud great magic, even if they know the secret behind it. Well, and and there's the part is that most magicians do the tried and true. Mm -hmm. They're they're not doing anything that many other magicians do not know. It doesn't mean that you're not entertained by it. So, and so you move to a different level when you can create your own magic tricks Mm -hmm where you really are, you haven't really shared them with the, well, I'm sorry, you choose when to share them with your fellow magicians. And we've got enough, I don't know, regular tricks and stuff like that. Once again, if you have interest on how something was done, Mm -hmm. you can just go and look it up. And there is your challenge that, uh, in fact, he, he mentioned this in an essay, that if you perform a trick, person pulls up their phone immediately can look at how it was done. Well, does that take away some of the joy or does that make the magician challenge himself to find a different way of, of making it done? Hmm. Anyway, fascinating, fascinating. What a fun book. And I, I do recommend this. All right. That's How Magicians Think, Misdirection, Deception, and Why Magic Matters by Joshua J. Scroll with it. Brings us to our scroll with it. There's plenty of stuff happening in the news. Let's talk about almost none of it. Uh, Let's start with AI some more, Chip. We've been talking about AI all through January. There's, There's a lot of news in the artificial intelligence world. Well, that's because we live in a simulation, Steve. That's one of my students said that when I was talking about chat GPT in class. And uh, that was the first idea that one of my students came up with. This chat GPT, I actually have had multiple conversations about it this week. And uh, one of the, the conversations I had was about an index fund that is outperforming 
the, the traditional index fund. Hmm. Anyway, it's just something to watch. It could just be a data point. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I, I'm sitting there watching it going, hmm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Interesting. And so there, there's there's your magic part is that with this chat GBT, it may be able to solve some stuff that um, humans are blind to mm-hmm. because of how we view reality. Interestingly enough, Steve. Back to that idea of perspective. The idea that maybe we are blind to some piece of the data and maybe having a perspective from some other viewpoint might solve it. This week, I declared to my students that this is a historic moment. Microsoft has integrated their edition of ChatGPT into Bing Search and their Edge web browser this week. Well, I'm sure there is some strategic part to this, Steve. <laughs> in the in the battle of web search and web eyeballs, yes, Microsoft has certainly been a name that you haven't. I I would be willing to bet that you haven't gone to Bing for a web search in a quite a long time. I would say. Yeah, it could be two or three years, Steve. Right. Google has been the name in web search for so very long that my students don't know any other way. And when I say to them that this AI might very well replace Google, they didn't even know how to react. They they don't know what that even means since Google is so integral to their lives. Well, they've always been part of the Googles, Dave. Mm-hmm. Google has been around for going on 25 years. And since my students are less than 25 years old, they don't even know a world without Google. But well, they didn't know a world with a prodigy, Steve, or where you had to ask Jeeves. <laughs> or, or get really excited in your web search and go, Yahoo! Exactly. They didn't have you know an AOL disk. On every single magazine, at every single place you would go. They don't know what a magazine at you is. With, what did they give you, 50 free hours? I can't remember what it was. <laughs> because it was by the hour. Oh, the lives we have lived, old man Chip. <laughs> so Microsoft put their version of ChatGPT into their Bing search this week. Google unveiled their AI. It is now called Bard, and it is a version of their Lambda AI that they've been working on for years. And the question really becomes the question of finding correct answers and how reliable these AI are, uh, Google ran into a big problem this week when they unveiled their Bard AI. Uh, It gave a factual error in the demo and Google, well, Alphabet's, Alphabet stock dropped dramatically as a result of that factual error. Interesting. And so Bard is based on Lambda? Yes. So it was uh, Tri Lambda. Lambda, was Lambda, there. Lambda. Yes. The yeah, nerds. So the Revenge of the Nerds. The nerds right are working here. on AI this year. Yes. Nerds. <laughs> yeah. Yes. When you think of Lambda, that is my first thought for sure. <laughs> this nerds. Nerds. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Coding Club was all about this this week, Chip. <laughs> What we need is John Goodman to give us a good speech, a little pep speech, Steve, about what we should do with the nerds. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of AI 
is something that is a hot topic in my class, innovative technology. I think that the innovation that we are going towards with all of this work is certainly going to change things. And I, I do declare this week as a historic week in technology. Sports had some history making this week as well. I tell you what, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, what a gentleman, right? Mm -hmm. He was there at the Lakers game, and he watched his scoring title, NBA all-time scoring title, being taken away by another Los Angeles Laker, LeBron James. How about that? They stopped the game, Steve. And Kareem Abdul-Jabbar came out as the, the most kind gentleman, and he presented LeBron James with that basketball as the moment that he surpassed the lifetime career points in the NBA title. How about that? And for the record, LeBron James lost the game. <laughs> Did not know that. The, of course, but the Lakers lost again. That's funny to me. That is really funny to me that this big moment is these career, the huge number that some people didn't think that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's number would ever be supplanted. LeBron James came along and, and he's just doing the work and getting all the points and they lose the game. Well, he's a special player. Yes. He certainly has made a, a, a tremendous difference um, to the game of basketball. He's changed the game of basketball. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, Unfortunately, uh, the Lakers are struggling with him. He's 38 years old, Steve. Mm -hmm. He scores. I mean, he scores like a young man. He will be Tom Brady. He's going to be playing when he's 40. Mm -hmm. I agree with that for sure. And I then I look forward to his acting career. Remember Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in Airplane? Roger, Roger. What's our Victor, Victor? He busts his butt up and down the court every night, Steve. <laughs> you like gladiator movies? That was Peter Graves. I love that movie. <laughs> Got some things on the calendar this week, Chip. The Chicago Auto Show started last weekend. It runs through February 20th in Chicago. One of the one of the events, one of those iconic events on my calendar. I love going downtown to see all the new automobiles. Welcome to Chicago. You want to see a car? You want to see a car? We got some cars. They're over by there. Star Trek Picard Season 3 drops on Paramount Plus this Thursday. That's February 16th. Uh, the first review that I read was uh, not kind to Season 3 of Picard. I look forward to it. There's a lot of nostalgia built into the show, and, and that was the review, was there's too much nostalgia. There's not enough storytelling in this new season. But I will find out for myself. Well, Steve, um, make it so. I will boldly go to Paramount Plus to watch that. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Los Angeles, Gallifrey One is happening this weekend. Jodie Whittaker, the latest doctor from Doctor Who, and Chris Chibnall, the latest showrunner from Doctor Who, will both be there. Tickets are sold out for Gallifrey One in Los Angeles. Boy, oh boy, my friends in, in L.A. are going to have some fun with Doctor Who this weekend. Did you say they're sellouts, Steve? Yes, they are. They are sellouts. I, I can't wait to see the photos and stories that come out of Gallifrey One. One day, one day I will make it to Gallifrey One, Chip. Steve, today is Valentine's Day and many people may wear out their mattress. Is there something they could do? 
It's mattress season. President's Day happens next week, and it's Monday. You got a three-day weekend, and it's all I know about President's Day is that there's always mattress sales. Lots of mattresses, Steve. <laughs> Celebrate Lincoln by buying a taller bed. It's George Washington, Steve. George Washington. George Washington. He's he's a president as well. And uh, Polk, you're going to celebrate Polk this week? And Andrew Jackson, Steve. And Old Hickory. James K. Polk. That is uh, one of my favorite They Might Be Giants songs. <laughs> I don't know, Chip. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think? What's this Chip stuff? I'm Eros. <laughs> Only if we can come back next week, Steve. Right, arrows from the CW. <laughs> we can come back next week, then I guess if you aim correctly. We would love to hear from you. Give us a call or a text. Our phone number is eight zero five four one zero four TMS. Our website is too much scrolling dot com. Our email is too much scrolling at gmail dot com. We're still on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and YouTube. And you can always ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of Too Much Scrolling. I want to thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Foder, and I'm Eros, God of Love. We'll see you in the future. Who's this Cupid guy that keeps appropriating my culture? Is that a UFO? No, it's an arrow. <laughs>